Hello and welcome to Ag PhD Radio. I'm Darren Hefty. And I'm Brian Hefty. Thanks for joining us today. We've got a great show for you. We're going to talk a little about tips for higher yields in soybeans. We'll also take your calls and questions today. If you've got a question for us or if there's anything you'd like to talk about that's going on in your farm, you can email us radio at agphd.com or just give us a call here. We will take your phone call all throughout the show today, 844-44-AG-PHD. Again, that's 844-442-4743. All right, so uh, just a couple of quick things on, on the soybeans and then we want to get right into the Ag PhD mailbag. With all crops, we're going to talk to you first about drainage, then it's going to be fertility, then we get into weed, insect, disease control, variety selection. I mean, there are so many things you can do. So when we say higher yields in soybeans, obviously we could talk about this for a month straight and still not get to everything. So we're going to give you a few highlights today. We'll, we'll talk about a few things that we've learned. And so I will start you with this. On our own farm, and really in this region of the country, one of the big things that we see is soil potassium levels. A lot of people don't realize that with soybeans, a great yielding soybean crop is going to take way more potassium on a per day basis at the peak. Now granted, it won't be long, but at the peak for uptake in soybeans, it'll take way more potassium out of the soil than a good corn crop will. Now in total, the corn will take a lot more K, all right? So don't Please don't misunderstand. I'm not saying for the whole season. But the thing is, when you have to have great availability, and especially like where we farm, where we don't get a lot of rainfall, we get on average 22, maybe 24 total inches of precip, and that includes the snow on the year. So think about this. If you're not getting rain and water is what brings potassium into the plant, what does that mean for your concentration in the soil? Should it be more or should it be less? Well, obviously, it should be more. And the nice thing with potassium in our heavy soils in the Midwest, for the most part, I mean, if you have a heavy soil, we're talking 20 CEC or above, your potassium's basically not going anywhere. Okay, It's going to get used or it's just going to continue to sit there. So my point is, I would really seriously look at bumping your K levels, and you might not see a yield gain year one in your soybeans because it takes time for the K to get in the right spot, become available, break down, you know, all that stuff. But I am saying what we have seen for ourselves and with a lot of farmers that we've worked with throughout all these heavy soils in drier areas, you know, so if you're talking under 40, under 50 inches of rainfall, when you get to these drier areas, then having high potassium levels is so incredibly huge for soybean yields, I can't even tell you. So that's probably my number one tip for a lot of people that have these types of soils and are in drier climates. So yes, if you have sand and you have irrigation or lots of rainfall, then it's different. You still need lots of K, but it's much easier for that potassium to move in the soil. It's much easier for that potassium to get into the plant. So you might not have to have as many total pounds sitting there in the soil like we would. But again, you run the risk of potentially losing it because it can move at least a little bit in those kind of soils. In our heavy soils, it's absolutely not going anywhere. 
So that's number one for me. And I already mentioned drainage, of course, and we'll get to a bunch of other things here in just a little bit. But first, let's let's get to the Ag PhD mailbag. It's now mailbag time with Brian and Darren. All right, Brian, got a drainage issue for you from, of all places, Wyoming. Uh, this one's from Joey, and he said, I, I've got some land in the outs, outskirts of Casper, Wyoming. At my home is up on a hill. There's a stream running below, and I pretty much can't drive between them. There's about three acres of land between the house and the stream, and it's so saturated with water year-round, I can't drive a tractor of any size in that area. We've lived here 10 years, only the last couple it's gotten this way. Coincidentally, they'd put a pipeline across our property in this area at that time, and ever since the pipeline's been there, there's been a lot of water through that stream. I'm wondering, I do a lot of reclamation work at a mine that I work for, and so I'm familiar with a lot of different ways of dealing with this. I've heard of tiling, and I'm not opposed to that. I also have had advice I could put a well in and just use some water for animals. Uh, just wondering what you think and what, sh- what you would do along a stream such as this. I'd absolutely put tile in the ground. You know, in much of Wyoming, there isn't a lot of tile that is needed. But in these low areas, that's where it is. The purpose of tile is to lower the water table. That's all you need to do there. You lower that water table down to even three feet, everything's going to be good. You'd be able to grow anything. You'd be able to drive across it. It will be fine. And when you said three acres, I mean, this is going to be a pretty inexpensive project. It's no big deal. In terms of having a well there, that's nice to talk about. But the problem is you might not need the water for different things at certain times. And so then what? You're just going to run that well all the time? I mean, are are you going to be pumping water all the time? I wouldn't. I'd way rather have a tile system in there that just runs itself when the water table gets high and it flows out gravity so it doesn't cost you anything after you put it in. All right. Thanks. We really appreciate that, Joey. Thanks for checking out our show as well. We really appreciate that. Uh, Got a comment here from Samuel and he said you guys were talking about silage versus harvesting corn for grain but you didn't mention about the big fertility maintenance dilemma of harvesting silage with such little residue left in the field yeah the thing is when you take silage off okay so if you look at nutrient removal charts let me step back for example, you go to the Ag PhD Fertilizer Removal app, and it's going to tell you what the grain takes to produce, what the stover takes to produce, and then, of course, what the total is of the two. Well, with that stover, keep in mind, half your stover is below ground in the roots, and then a bunch of the nutrients that are in your stover are going to flush out late in the season with water, so you, we, it varies so much from year to year. You really need to test what you're actually removing from the field with that silage. But yes, you are definitely going to take more nutrients off than when you just take grain off. So you need to replace those nutrients either with manure or commercial fertilizer. Well, stay tuned. We'll be right back. It's about time. Applied at planting, new Zyway 3D fungicide from FMC delivers foliar disease protection from planting to harvest. Active ingredient Flutriafol moves from the soil through the corn as it grows for inside-out protection from roots to tassel. For season-long protection, choose first-of-its-kind in-furrow Zyway 3D fungicide. To learn more, call 815-362-7747 today. Always read and follow all label directions. 
The Pentair Hypro Express Flush Valve reduces plugged nozzles and improves cleanout of your spray boom. Simply flush boom sections with a quarter-turn ball valve and leave your tools in the cab. Plus, installation is easy. Simply remove the existing end cap plug and replace with the Hypro Express Flush Valve. Learn more at Pentair.com slash Hypro. Start your crop off right with the Germinator Closing Wheel from Farm Shop MFG. Our spike design excels on variable soils and shatters compaction. Plus, the unique shoulder firmer encases a seed to maximize seed-to-soil contact. Order yours at farmshopmfg.com. Maintaining your crops is as important now as it's ever been. Howler, a revolutionary fungicide from AgBiome, can help. It provides long-lasting protection from a broad spectrum of foliar and soil diseases that affect crops. Howler is OMRI listed, has multiple modes of action, and has minimal pre-harvest and re-entry intervals. It's flexible, easy to use, and is available right now. Visit agbiome.com forward slash Howler to learn more. You're all set with the 4x4 turbo diesel truck. How about some options? Spray and bed liner? Absolutely. Tailgate step and nerf bars? Gotta have them. Tie down hooks and stainless steel toolbox? You know it. Tinted windows? Of course. Options are good. That's as true in the field as it is with your pickup. In addition to taking care of tough weeds, new Open Sky herbicide gives you more rotational choices than ever before and an easy-to-handle formulation. <laughs> Gooseneck toe package? Yep. Discover more Open Sky details at openskyherbicide.com. back you're listening to ag phd radio thanks for joining us today on our program we are going to be talking about tips for higher yielding soybeans we're also taking your calls and agronomic questions at 844-44-AG-PHD or you can send us an email radio at agphd.com got a number of emails that have come in already today we're going to get to those later on in the show Let's talk first with Josh Miller with BASF. We've got Josh on uh, right now to talk a little bit of fungicide work and and some other things. Josh, thanks for joining us. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me. All right, right off the bat, Brian and I were talking before the show, and we're like, oh man, we got Josh on today. We we want to talk about Revitech a little bit because we're actually putting together our <laughs> program of what we're doing on our farm for our soybeans. And one of the debates that we had was what use rate are we going to run with with Revitech at different times of the year? Now, you've got a pretty broad range on some of your recommendations uh, and on some of the labels of products. And I would assume that's probably for different timings during the year or two. Yeah, I think when we're talking about Revitech, especially with that R3 timing, um, we're going to be at the eight ounce rate. Uh, we're pretty set with that, that standard rate there. You know, we've done the different launch the product last year. We've done a lot of testing with different rate, um, uh, rate options there, but eight ounces really seems to do the trick for what, for what we need. You know, when, when you look at that, we're talking about plant health today. We're talking about disease control, too, because certainly there are some some challenges out there. Where do we start? Now, we're talking R3 already, and I don't want to jump past mm-hmm. anything because certainly yeah, there, there could be things going on early on. I, I, but I did want to get my question answered, Josh. And that's one of the cool things. When, when you've got a radio show, you get to do those things. That's great. Yeah, so you, you're absolutely right. When you talk about disease control and when you talk about plant health, um, that's why I love talking to you guys. You, you ask the right questions. It's a season long approach. You know, it's so easy to go right to R3 cause we know that's the consistent timing, but it really starts at planting. What are you doing at planting? What are we trying to do to make sure that those beans are off to a to healthy start? Are we trying to protect them from, um, those soreborn diseases, get them up, get them healthy, you know, in cooler conditions that you guys have up North there. And so we've got options to see most seed treatments. 
we go through um, the vegetative growth periods there, there's still a little bit of disease that can happen in there. The brown spot can come in. We can still have these periods of hot, dry summer conditions that can knock them back a little bit. And Preaxor at that time can do a really good job keeping those beans healthy and going through. And then you keep going in and R1, R2 timing when, when white mold can be an issue up north. You know, then we come into the Endura time of things. So, yeah, we have a season-long approach, and I think that's what's really critical as you're, you're planning out what you want out of your soybeans. What is your expectation? You're talking about high-yield soybeans right now. Now it's a matter of making sure that those beans don't have a single day of stress, making sure you retain every potential flower and pot on that plant, and making sure you're getting everything out of it. So you're asking a lot of really good questions. Now, you mentioned the, the flowering and that we abort so many of those flowers. And that's certainly something I think every farmer that we talk to is like, man, when I see how many flowers are aborted out there, I know I've got hundred plus bushel potential. If I could just keep some of those, where are we missing the boat? I know we jumped right to R3 because frankly, a lot of us want to push the easy button. Well, Hey, R3 gave me the best single response. So I'll just do that. I've done it once. I've done my job, but we really haven't. We've just protected that plant for maybe a couple of weeks around that R3 spraying. And then we probably should be back in again. Shouldn't we? Yeah. R3 followed by R5 is our typical best application that we've seen. We actually did some timing, sequential timings this past season, um, in some of our, our tech service trials. And, you know, we're always looking for what that new thing is, but it is pretty consistent that R3 is that time where we get the biggest bang for our buck. And if you've had the table set, if you have the right nutrients, if, you, if you've had the right variety plant at the right time, you know, soybeans are just, they're light harvesters. They, they want to capture as much light. So plant as early as we possibly can, get as much of that plant out there, capture the sunlight. June 21st happens, longest day of the year. Hopefully we're already deep into flowering at that point, potentially R2. Now we're having that table really set to get as much as we can out of there. Have the, the first application of Revitec on there, R3, protect it, plant health, disease control, and then, man, if the table's set, if you've taken care of your micronutrients, R5, come back, finish the season outright. Seed quality, high yields, that's really a recipe for success in my in my mind. One last question I've got for you, Josh, because uh, we could, of course, talk all day about this. Let's, let's talk about those vegetative stages because so many growers are focused, and rightly so, on protecting that plant during the reproductive stages. In the vegetative time, are we mostly worried about disease control or are you seeing a plant health difference with applications at that time too? Yeah, so... It, it's a little bit of both, and I hate to say that. I mean, it, it depends. Um, down south, you know, we, you can get a lot of diseases pretty, pretty early on in the season. And I know we don't talk much about brown spot in some of those. Um, but, you know, when you're talking about just a small percent yield loss, but now we're getting in not 40 bushel beans, we're talking about 100 bushel beans, a small percent yield loss can really be a couple bushels there. And so there is some early season disease control we're trying to get out of it but the plant health is there that's that's that time when you know think about what june can be you know before we get to the to the the, the full potting before we get into flowering or things like that there's some stressful times there where the plant might have to go through a little droughty period and if we can keep that plant holding on it's a good day it's a good thing corn doesn't want a bad day beans i know we say that they can overcome you know they 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 can bounce back from, you know, you can mow those things down to the ground, 
But still, we want to keep those plants growing healthy and give them everything we can. So we don't want a bad day ever uh, in my mind. No, we got to treat the beans well, too. And that's a big part of our topic today, higher yielding soybeans. Josh Miller with BSF. Thank you so much. We really appreciate having you on. Hey, thanks, Darren. Let's head down to Iowa. We'll get Zach Trower with us right now. And Zach is with Syngenta. Zach, thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. All right, higher-yielding soybeans. Obviously, we've got a lot of guys that aren't just shooting for 40 bushel beans anymore. They're shooting for 100 or even more. What are some of the things you're seeing make a difference? You know, when I when I look back at, uh, at 2020 and I, I looked at some of the successes, you know, we, we had a tough year in Iowa. We had a lot of weather conditions that were not conducive. But I was still talking with growers that were getting those 80, 90 bushel beans out there. You bet. And, uh the biggest thing that I saw with guys that were doing that was first off, they're making the right investments at the right time. You know, we always talk about when times get tough, people are trying to cut back, right? We're trying to save some money, but really if you're shooting for those high yields, you have to make that investment and that's investment throughout the whole season. That's starting with a good seed, protecting that seed to get it out of the ground with a good, strong seed treatment. And then we call it the stay strong method where we're keeping the weeds away. We know water hemp, palmer kosha up in your world those weeds can really have a wreak of havoc on our yield and it's it's stealing nutrients it's stealing water it's stealing light you know all those things we have to manage and then finally finishing with a really strong fungicide throughout the to keep that plant nice and healthy we talk about our three pre-strategy using at least three modes of action pre-emerge and in many cases it's going to cost 10 to 20 dollars it's a bushel or two per acre I agree with you. Weeds can definitely take more than a bushel or two away. Oh, yeah. I mean, when we, we look at, you know, uh, water hemp per se, you know, as soon as you start getting up to even a few plants per square foot, or I'm going to use giant ragweed. That's a weed very common in Iowa. It takes one one giant ragweed, I think it's per 100 square feet or 110 square feet in a soybean field to knock your yield by 40 to 50%. I mean, weeds can really wreak havoc on that yield at the end of the day. It's it's amazing how they do compete against our crops. That sounds like a big, that sounds like a tough number, Zach. But, you know, you think about it, I don't know what the exact number is, but I do know this. If we let problem weeds get out of hand, they only become worse. They go to seed, and then next year we're we're fighting hundreds of thousands of weeds instead of just a weed or two here and there. Absolutely. I mean, water hemp producing a million seeds per acre. You know, you, you talked about that two to three modes of action. That, that's also a resistance management strategy, right? We know when we get resistance, that's something that we just can't, we can't undo. Once you have it, you have it. So, you know, having that, that two to three mode of action product, or maybe you're taking a product like Boundary and added something to it to, to get it that extra mode of action is really what we look for. Well, I think the best thing here, Zach, is what, how you started off, making the right investments at the right time. That leads to the right results. Uh, Zach Trower with Syngenta with us now. Zach, thank you so much. Really appreciate having you on. Yeah, thanks for having me. We're talking about higher yielding soybeans and what you can do to get there on today's Ag PhD radio program. Stay tuned. A lot goes into keeping a precision operation moving. The inputs you choose have to deliver results. New Delaro Complete Fungicide from Bayer offers unmatched consistency and the most complete disease control available. Your corn and soybeans are protected and yields higher, even in unpredictable conditions. With Delaro Complete, you get results you can count on. 
to help keep your precision operation running smoothly. Always read and follow label instructions. To learn more, visit delarocomplete.us today. Did you know soybean diseases like white mold and sudden death syndrome can survive in your soil even after rotating crops? Prevention of these diseases is a constant battle and yield loss from an infection can be devastating. The right management plan makes all the difference. Keep your beans safe next spring with Heads Up Seed Treatment. Heads Up guards your seed treatment from both white mold and SDS. Stay protected and profitable by asking to have your seed pre-treated with Heads Up. Learn more at headsupst.com. When it comes to innovative herbicide formulations, you know New Farm. New Farm brings you Credit Extreme, the herbicide with dual salt technology that makes all the difference. Faster uptake, quicker rain fastness, and better control in variable weather, something we've all had our fair share of. When you need more powerful weed control for challenges like lamb's quarters and velvet leaf, with excellent safety to round up ready crops, you need Credit Extreme. New Farm and Credit Extreme, here to help. Got resistant weeds? Add Tough 5EC as your post-emergence tank mix partner to deliver the knockout punch to Palmer Amaranth and Waterhemp. Tough 5EC is a selective contact herbicide for post-emergence control of key broadleaf weeds, especially resistant strains. Tough 5EC is manufactured by Beltram Crop Protection, an agrochemical company focused on providing innovative products with strong technical support. Ask your local retailer about Tough 5EC or visit BeltramUSA.com. Always read and follow label instructions. Success isn't just about maintaining your operation, how you make out for the season, or how much you can get from each acre. It's about doing precisely what needs to be done to feed your crop and grow your legacy, all the way down to the last drop. AgroLiquid Precision Crop Nutrition. Apply less. Expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. You're looking for soybeans that give you the yield you want. But when it comes to fighting your toughest weeds, you also need flexibility. Introducing Extend Flex Soybeans. Elite genetics with triple tolerance to dicamba, glyphosate, and glufosinate. The yield you want, the choice you need. Learn more at extendflexsoy.com. Always read and follow IRM where applicable. Grain marketing and all other stewardship practices and pesticide label directions. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio, talking about tips for higher yielding soybeans. And, you know, there are a couple points made here with our first two guests. Hey, it's a little bit different in one area of the country versus another. There are some different challenges, no doubt about it. There's going to be different diseases that hit, different weeds and so forth, maybe different timings on some things going on. And so it's fun to talk to, to folks that are farming in different areas than what we are. So, for example, we've got John with us right now in Maryland facing some different challenges than what we got here in South Dakota. Josh, or John, thanks for joining us today. Thank you. All right, you guys have raised some pretty fantastic crops out in in Maryland. What what does it take to raise high yielding beans there? Well, you know, I was going to take. We're not mm-hmm. too different than about the central latitude wise on the between central Illinois, Indiana, along the same type of growing days and things like that. We're about the same. Little okay. maybe some other conditions are a little different, but basically our Growing season is about the same as the central Midwest, you know. 
Um, anyway, I just want to start with that. So okay. People have some idea because pe- a lot of people don't even know where Maryland is. You know what I mean? <laughs> they don't know oh, tell me about it. I, I get people that say, where are you from? Dakota? I'm <laughs> like, which yeah. one? <laughs> South Dakota. Yeah. Come on. Which one? Yeah. Um, yep. Some people think it's like Canada, right, Dakota? Absolutely, absolutely, no yeah. doubt about that. Well, it, is, it does feel like it today. It's kind of chilly out here. But, you know, it, when we look at the soybean crop, we've got a certain amount of time. Like you say, you may have the same middle of the growing season or similar to, to what we've got. I know for us, fertility challenges are one of the things. You've got a little bit lighter soils than what we've got. How do you handle fertilizing soybeans when you got a little lighter, uh, lower CEC soils? Well... We do have a little bit lighter, yes, definitely lighter soils. Um, As you know, as everybody probably knows, first thing with all soils is soil health. You have to have everything. People wonder how you win a corn growers or bean growers contest. Well, you don't start out in in April and say, man, I'm going to win the contest. It takes, for us anyway, it takes several many years to build the soil up. You've got to have all your nutrients in line. You don't want anything way out of whack, one, one ex- excessively high and one next one excessively You want them all in the high range. You want your pHs in in the, in line. In line. And uh, one thing I, I noticed some people do around here is, for example, is we have to put a fair amount of lime on. And we like to use the, the dry lime. It seems like it works quicker. But what happens is the pH, you say, is 6.8. They'll wait for it to get down to 5.8 or 5.9 before they put lime on. We see it drop half a point or more or less. We end up putting lime on. Even if we have to put half a ton, a ton, whatever it takes, but we try to keep the pH consistent. We don't let it drop. That's pretty important for soybeans. Um, yeah, that that is, put, a, that is a good tip because yeah. you're right. A lot of times we see uh, farmers letting things go too far. Well, it's not too bad yet. And then pretty soon it's really bad. And yeah, you're right. Just being proactive on that. When you talk about getting nutrients in line too, for us, it was potassium. Our soils were just drastically low. Is there a certain nutrient that you say, man, that's that's one we really have to focus on hard? Well, on soybeans, that's definitely one we focus on hard. In fact, we applied most of our potash in the fall this year we definitely did almost all of our potash because potash is we bought it fairly reasonable for 300 i think it was 320 a ton for around here that was pretty good price and it's gone up considerably i think it's like 380 now headed headed north um so we put all our pot i found that fall applied potash for hay particularly and soybeans is we go fair raise a fair amount of hay is Seems like it works into the soil, and we get a lot better, more active, you know, potassium uptake in the spring and summer than if we wait till springtime and put it, try to put it all down at once. Okay. So we try to put most of that on. Same way with our lime. We try to put our lime on as soon as we finish doing corn. We've already finished spreading lime. We put our lime on in the fall of the year. Seems like if you wait too long, then you wait. You know, you wait till. Spring early spring and you may all of a sudden now you put everything down and you, you've really waited too long to get the full effect of putting it on compared to putting on the fall of the year. I know another thing you guys do in the fall is cover crops. Have you found that being beneficial for soybeans? Yes. Um, when we have planted many different things for soybean, for cover crop, for beans and corn, we put, we put radishes on with helicopter. We've done 
critical oats, barley, wheat. We've tried a bunch of different things. Um, one of the problems, we have the same problem probably as you do, is that um, we get cold in the middle of November, and if you don't get the, a good stand for a broadleaf cover crop by the middle of end of September, you're not going to get one, you know. So you have that. the problem with that is you can't get it applied while you have a crop unless you put it on by air. So we've done some of that and had mixed results. Sometimes it's good. Sometimes it depends on how dry the weather gets in September and early October, depending on how the seed germination is. But we put a cover crop down on all of our fields um, of some sort. A lot of times what we'll do anymore is we put down some oats. Now, oats have to be planted fairly early, too, but we can still get them in in September, early October, and get a pretty good stand. And then when we save what I think helps oats is they help with the uptake of nutrients and hold the soil. But if they get a hard freeze, say below, and we don't usually get this so much around here anymore, gets down below about 22, 23 degrees, they will freeze out, um, especially for an extended period of time. So then by springtime, we don't have to spray anything or work anything up to kill the cover crop. So usually it's late February by the time they die. So it works out just about perfect. Now when we plant wheat, we usually end, we always have to end up putting, of course, something on it to spray over to kill the crop, to or, you know, to, to sure. get out of the way. Otherwise, that's what I like about oats, but uh, because we don't have to you know, say it's one trip and one time expense spraying, you know. Yeah, I also like that oats are cheap, and that's that's kind oats of a nice way to go. Relatively, yeah, yeah. All right, so you talked about soil health. What about plant health in crop? Is that a big thing for you, too? Have you found some things out there? We do. We have to be careful with the fungicide. We have to spray, I think, this past year we sprayed. It's either two or three times, probably three times on what we entered in the uh, contest, probably three times, because we had a very wet August. And we had eight inches of rain in August, so we have to spray be willing to, and that's kind of unusual, but you have to be willing to spray a good bit when you have that much uh, wet weather. And we had a really dry, fairly dry July, but then it turned wet in August, so the plants were a little bit stressed, so that left an opportunity for disease to get in there. And then when it did turn wet, we were trying to stay ahead of the ball game, like you say, being proactive, so the disease did not get in. But if you didn't spray this year, we have some people I know in the area that didn't spray, and their beans were really pretty uh, disease-ridden, many different diseases seem like this year. Yeah, disease control, big deal. You talked about soil health, getting nutrients in line, getting that pH adjusted quickly before you let it get too far out of line, and then also using cover crops. Did we miss anything, John? Is there something else you'd say, boy, here's here's one other thing that's even bigger? I'm finding that we don't need quite as heavy a population as people think. seems like when you get a heavier population, you get the plants go taller to get more fight to get the sunlight. It seems like if you go a little bit lower population sometimes, you get just as high yield or higher yield because the, the most, most soybean plants will bush out. And you get an awful lot. If, you, if you're not careful, you get a lot of vegetation and not a lot of pods. So... Um, I would recommend that people not go quite as heavy as uh, some of the seed companies might recommend. That's another thing. You do have to have a good variety for your area. We have 
um, in our area, we have some pretty good reps that help us with what varieties they think will do what best in our area. Yeah, that population so we, discussion we, is kind of a big one. We like a late four, you know, mid to late four, four two, four nine. You probably don't plant that. No, no, we, we aren't even close to that full season. But, no, I agree with you. A good variety is big, and then getting that population right is is kind of key, and more is, is certainly not better. I'm talking with John out in Maryland. John, thank you so much. Really appreciate having you on. All right. We'll be looking for We'll be seeing you at the commodity planted this year again. All right. Thanks, John. We'll be right back. You need a powerful herbicide to fight the war on weeds. Bellum is Rotam North America's Mesotrion herbicide, and it fights against the annual broadleaf weeds attacking your cornfields. Winning this battle means higher yields, lower cost to you, and maximized profitability. For long-lasting residual weed control, check out Evinco, Vilify, and our newest mix, Rixa. For application, flexibility, and season-long control, that's Evinco, Vilify, and Rixa, powered by Bellum. For more information, visit bellumherbicide.com. That's B-E-L-L-U-M herbicide.com. The only innovation that matters is the one I need. With NK Seeds, their R&D program actually listens to farmers like me. So I get solutions that solve my challenges. With the support to make them count. Because progress means pushing my potential. And success matters. Push your potential at nkseeds.com. Heat, drought, wind, hail, northern corn leaf blight, gray leaf spot. If your corn is under stress, you are too. Get Veltima fungicide, swift activity, with fast payback, an expanded application window. Makes life simple, and it's a secure choice. With powerful residual for visibly healthier corn. Swift, simple, secure. Veltima fungicide. Call your BASF rep today. Always read and follow label directions. Veltima fungicide is not registered in all states. Fill once, plant all day. The Thrive 3D application system from FMC is a revolutionary in-furrow crop protection platform that plants up to 480 acres between refills. The Thrive 3D application system mounts to most major planter brands and can be yours at no cost with the FMC Freedom Pass program. To learn more, call 815-362-7747 today. Always read and follow all label directions. Customer service goes a long way when trying something new. Ryan Shaw from Michigan shares how Soil Warrior helped him transition to strip tillage in his operation. The Soil Warrior guys, they are amazing to work with. They made this jump in this transition extremely painless. One question that I get all the time is, how is the service and everything? And I said, well, actually, I get better service from them than I typically do my dealers uptown. They're just amazing. More info at SoilWarrior.com. Give your corn a strong defense against stress throughout the season with MycoApply Indoprime SC. MycoApply Indoprime SC uses four specially selected species of mycorrhizal fungi to protect your crop against stress. That means more access to water and key micronutrients while building a healthy soil structure for stronger crops for years to come. Stronger corn starts beneath the surface. Learn more about MycoApply Indoprime SC at IndoprimeCorn.com. Always read and follow label instructions. Welcome back to Ag PhD Radio. Brian Hefty here along with my brother Darren. Today on the show we're talking a little about tips for higher yields in soybeans. Just one quick comment. Uh, John from Maryland right before the break said something about Commodity Classic. 
Well, like most things this winter, it uh, Commodity Classic is going virtual. So we won't be going to San Antonio, Darren and me, but you will have the opportunity to see us at Commodity Classic. I'm not exactly sure, and Darren or Janelle, maybe you guys know when we're speaking exactly there. Not, not exactly sure. No, yet. I think it's the middle day. But anyway, uh, for Ag PhD, we are having some in-person events this winter, but very limited in terms of attendance. So if you would like to participate in our events, you can just go to agphd.com and look at which events there are. We've got a corn agronomy workshop coming up in just a couple of weeks from Wednesday. That is free online to all Ag PhD Insider Magazine subscribers. And by the way, the magazine's only 50 bucks for five years or 20 bucks for a year. So very inexpensive. And then you get in on all our events online if you would like to do that. Okay, so we're talking about tips for higher yields and soybeans. I have just a few more, and then we'll move on and get back to Ag PhD Mailbag or take any of your phone calls. And again, our number here is 844-44-AG-PHD. Okay, so variety selection can be very important. But here's the key thing. Variety selection is most important when you need a certain defensive trait. I'll just use the example of iron deficiency chlorosis. Okay, if you have high pH soil, you are very likely to get iron deficiency chlorosis. So long term, we usually, the farmers that we work with personally, we talk to them about, hey, let's work on fixing the soil long term, get that pH down, and then you don't have to worry about picking the three varieties that are fantastic on IDC, you can pick from 30 different varieties and then look more at yield as your number one factor. So over the long haul, who's going to win on yield? The guy who can only pick from three varieties because he has to have something great on IDC or the guy who can pick from every variety out there? Well, I think that's pretty obvious. Okay, so that's why it is important, if you can, to fix that ground in the long term. Now, obviously, if you don't own the ground, then you're going to have to have a conversation with the landlord. But it is an important conversation to have, and I've done that with our landlords. So fortunately, we own most of our ground now. But over the years and all the different landlords we've had, most of them have been pretty agreeable about, hey, we're willing to help you fix the soil. Next thing pre-emerge herbicides. In soybeans, we think pre's are key, and I don't care if you've got dicamba-tolerant beans, liberty-tolerant, and list, whatever it is, we still would encourage you all the time to use a pre-emerge herbicide for a couple reasons. Number one, you want residual. Number two, you want cheap. Okay, I like both. Cheap, residual, that's awesome. You can get three pre-emerge modes of action out there now for 10 bucks. At the most, you're going to spend 20 Okay, but in a lot of cases, 10. On our farm, we're going to spend 10 in most of our fields. Okay, well, if I'm only spending 10 bucks and I've got three effective modes of action, that's awesome. Because if you go spray one shot of Dicamba, Liberty, or 2,4-D, by the time you get the adjuvants in and figure the trip, it's going to be more than 10 bucks. More than 10 bucks. I, I mean, it, again, figuring the trip and everything. So I'm just trying to say, Hey, um, we got to look at economics too, not just, well, I have time at this time of year or whatever else. 
If you say, well, it's hard to spray right at planting time, well, then figure out a different way. We spray a lot of our pre-emerge stuff a month before we plant. We've also done a bunch in the fall. We sprayed a lot of ground this fall. So, I mean, there are other ways to do it where you can figure out how to get it done and still uh, be able to plant on time and not have to worry about it so much. Okay, next thing. Early post-emerge. If you have a massive weed problem, we would encourage you use more herbicide, more with residual. So yeah, dicamba, Liberty, 2,4-D, they're all really good on on a lot of these weeds that are going to be out there. So I'm not saying don't use those. I am saying try to find something else with residual. So yeah, it's great to have those pre-emerge herbicides, but if you have a weed disaster, I'd run with a group 15 plus a PPO, something like Warrant plus Flexstar. Or let's say it's Anthem Max that contains the active ingredients found in Zidua and Cadet. So either way, you got a Group 15, you got a PPO, now we're in good shape. Coming back to the Dicamba, Liberty, and List thing, with Dicamba, just make sure you spray early. We can't stop Dicamba from moving, I hate to tell you, but we just can't stop it. And even the new restrictions, all the new stuff you got to throw in, everything else, you're still not going to stop it. So spray early, be super careful about where you're spraying, and if you're next to a sensitive crop and you have to spray right up toward the end of the label date, which is not what I would recommend, but if you have to do that, make sure the wind's going to be blowing away from that sensitive crop for two straight days. Where we end up with a lot of problems, and both Darren and I have been out on a lot of these over the years, not just in the last few years with the soybean thing, but going all the way back. Darren and I have been agronomists for 30 years, and we've been in a lot of complaint fields where guys will spray dicamba in the corn and it drifts over to the beans. Well, when does that happen? It happens when the wind shifts. And I'll look at the spray records and like, well, it was away, it was blowing away. It, it, there's no way it could have gotten there. Well, it does because dicamba picks up and moves. So if it's going to change direction sometime within 48 hours after you've sprayed, guess what? You're going to have a problem. There's one I was at in, it was in Iowa. This is, I don't know, 10, 12 years ago, something like that. And it was the guy who had sprayed and all his neighbors around him, literally all four directions. And the guy's like, well, I can't be my field. I can't. And we went back as, you know, we have great records anymore. And so we could see, we could track the wind direction for all 24 hours after he sprayed and all 48 even. But literally within 24 hours after that farmer had sprayed, the wind shifted to every possible direction there was. And it's no wonder he had a problem. Now, granted, for all these guys, look, I told him, hey, you barely cup the leaves. You're going to be fine. And sure enough, in the fall, none of them had a yield loss. But you still don't like to see that. So be super careful spraying the dicamba. Now, with the new 2,4-D, with Enlist, oh, by the way, don't use old dicamba and don't use old 2,4-D when you're spraying extend beans or Enlist beans, respectively. Okay? So you... Use the new stuff. The new stuff's a lot better. And especially with the new 2,4-D, that Enlist one, you can't even, if you haven't sprayed this stuff yet, you won't even believe it because it doesn't move. And believe me, we've tried to make it fail. We've been using this product for six years now. We tested it long before it ever got out on the market. And we've sprayed it right next to super crazy sensitive stuff. Wind blowing even toward it doesn't move. It's been awesome. So I, I'm not saying don't follow the label directions within list one or anything like that, but I am saying we're not seeing the volatility out of it like we used to see with old 2,4-D all the time. 
Okay, and then Liberty, by the way, that barely moves, but you got to make sure you're using the right nozzles for Liberty so you get great coverage. If you want great weed control with Liberty, you've got to have great coverage. So that also means don't spray too late in the season with the Liberty. This happened to us on our farm last year. We sprayed 2,4-D first, just waiting list one. Then we were going to come back with Liberty, but our beans grew so much they just took off on us. And I walked out there and I go, we can't spray Liberty anymore. We're never going to get coverage. You have to have coverage with Liberty. It's got to have uh, contact with like literally every leaf on that weed if you want it to die. So make sure you're spraying when the crop is and the weeds are relatively small. Last couple things, fungicide and insecticide. With insecticide, don't follow old standards in terms of how many bugs you have to have to justify a treatment. When all the insecticides have crashed in price, we have $12 soybeans now in the U.S., and a lot of our yields are double what they were 20 years ago. Um, The economics are totally different, and a lot of the things that I find still on the internet are from 20 years ago. That's no good. You can't go with what, what, what number do they use there? 250 aphids per plant or some ridiculous nonsense? I mean, come on. That is old school thinking. We've got to look at what are our current economics today. Now, granted, if the soybean price goes to nothing, your yields are terrible, and the insecticide price quadruples, well then, sure, it, you you got you to gotta change your thinking. Fungicide. Last thing, I just tell you, make sure you're spraying early. Preventative 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 the fungicides are great preventing disease not great at curing all right we're going to get back to your questions right after this in the ag phd mailbag it's not about how quickly you come out of the gate with nitrogen fertilizer but how strong you finish the race high striker uses patent pending chemistry to stabilize your nitrogen in a form that lasts longer in your crop's root zone because for high yields your nitrogen must last longer so you can finish the season stronger. Visit agrotechusa.com to learn why so many growers are going the distance with high striker treated nitrogen. You deserve to have a building that will last for generations. With more than 110 years of experience and thousands of satisfied customers, Morton Buildings is the industry leader you can trust. Unlike other construction companies, you work with Morton Buildings craftsmen from conception to completion. There's no better time to buy. Lock in your new building for 2020 today. Contact your local Morton sales office or visit mortonbuildings.com. Give your corn a strong defense against stress throughout the season with MycoApply Indoprime SC. MycoApply Indoprime SC uses four specially selected species of mycorrhizal fungi to protect your crop against stress. That means more access to water and key micronutrients while building a healthy soil structure for stronger crops for years to come. Stronger corn starts beneath the surface. Learn more about MycoApply Indoprime SC at IndoprimeCorn.com. Always read and follow label instructions. Success isn't just about maintaining your operation, how you make out for the season, or how much you can get from each acre. It's about doing precisely what needs to be done to feed your crop and grow your legacy. All the way down to the last drop. Agroliquid Precision Crop Nutrition. Apply less, expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. 
you're all set with the 4x4 turbo diesel truck. How about some options? Spray and bed liner? Absolutely. Tailgate step and nerf bars? Gotta have them. Tie down hooks and stainless steel toolbox? You know it. Tinted windows? Of course. Options are good. That's as true in the field as it is with your pickup. In addition to taking care of tough weeds, new Open Sky herbicide gives you more rotational choices than ever before and an easy-to-handle formulation. <laughs> Gooseneck toe package? Yep. Discover more Open Sky details at openskyherbicide.com. Acre to acre, year to year, generation to generation, nobody scrutinizes performance like you do. And acre to acre, year to year, generation to generation, the consistent performance of Vasgro brand soybeans helps to keep your profitability out in front, offering leading agronomic expertise and 100% exclusive genetics for strong yield potential. Ask your dealer how much further you can grow when Asgro leads the way. Always read and follow grain marketing and all other stewardship practices and pesticide label directions. Back, you're listening to Ag PhD Radio. We're going to dive into the Ag PhD mailbag now again with uh, an email here from Kevin in Minnesota. Kevin sent us a soil test and also a manure test. Great idea. Way to go, Kevin. That's the way to look at this. We need to look at the soil and what you're going to put on for manure. He said, planning on spreading this manure, plowing it under. How heavy can I safely apply it to this land? And what would you suggest to supplement for fertility in addition to the manure, where am I going to fall short on what I need? I'm shooting for 160 bushel corn this year where I'm putting the manure, and then I'll rotate back with soybeans next year. Okay, first thing here, I, I would just say, and Kevin, I, I hate to even say this, but this looks a lot like when Darren showed me the soil test for what he called the blank slate field, you have no fertility out there at all. So the temptation becomes, well, I got manure, I'll just load it up. But here's the problem. Well, two things. And uh, the one thing has happened to us, that is over-application of manure to the point where we got too much salt. So on our heavy ground, we have put a fair amount of manure out, and we've tried different things. And we can see when we get to a certain rate, the yield starts going backwards. So we got to be careful about that, number one, getting too much salt. Number two, you have light ground, or what we would consider light. 10 or less for CEC. So 10 and just under 10 for CEC. So in other words, your ground isn't going to hold a tremendous amount of the leachable nutrients, mainly nitrate, sulfate, boron. So nitrate is the one that we're most worried about. When we see 10 CEC, we usually will say, hey, we don't want to exceed 100 pounds of nitrogen out there at any one time. And when I look at your soil tests, you've already got 25 pounds sitting there. So that means I'd only want to put 75 pounds on. So if we're trying to do this, the most, this, in the way that is the safest for the environment, our recommendation is going to be not to exceed that in the one application. So when I look at your sample here, it says, and it, it has pounds per thousand gallons, Darren, and it also has pounds per ton. Is this liquid or dry manure? Well, it says it's beef cattle manure. That's why I'm it, guessing it's I looked dry, at the, but no, but there's a moisture percentage. The top number there oh. is 71. So oh, yeah, it looks okay. like it's liquid. Well, not necessarily. Uh, no, it, no, it isn't. It's got to be dry. Well, you know so, what? It is I, probably sludge type stuff, isn't it? That's about what our manure to, or our lime tests come back when it's a sludge. Is yeah. So I, I don't really know what it is, but anyway, I'll just talk pounds per ton. Okay. So it says here nitrogen is uh, 10 
6.86, so we'll say 11 pounds per ton is what you're going to get. So if if I'm looking at, hey, I'm willing to go up to 75 pounds of nitrogen, that means that I am willing to put on roughly 7 tons of this manure. Okay, the problem is when I put 7 tons on, I don't get all that much of some of the other nutrients. I'm going to get, let's see, what does it look like here? Uh, 20 pounds of phosphate and I'm going to get, let's see, I'm going to get about the same thing. I'm going to get about 75 pounds of K2O potassium. So that's, that's, that's not, that's just simply not going to cut it because your soil is so low on fertility. So what, what I would suggest is adding commercial fertilizer then to supplement this with your nitrogen. It's going, and, and by the way, I don't know, let's see, or maybe I do know, uh, yeah, I was just looking at organic versus uh, ammonium nitrogen. But it, it, here's my point. With these lighter soils, that's where we talk about spoon feeding all the time. So you want to make sure you're early because you're not in an area of the country that gets tons of rain. And I don't think you have irrigation. I'm guessing you don't have irrigation. Uh, so just make sure you're on the early side. But you're going to need uh, you're going to need one more shot of nitrogen at some point. So get some more nitrogen out there you know, when the corn is relatively small and now you have spoon fed on the nitrogen side. But yeah, literally with everything else, I'm putting more out there. I'm going to add some more commercial fertilizer when it comes to P and K and sulfur, zinc, maybe even a little manganese, definitely a little copper, a little boron. So you've got all those nutrients in that manure. It's just, you don't have much. So that's the problem. We've got to limit it because of your light soil. Yep, always, always got a few different considerations there, and yeah, lighter soil is is certainly one you have to pay attention to because you can get it too hot and you can hurt the crop too. All right, let's head back to the phone lines here. We've got Dan with us in West Central Iowa right now. Dan, how are you today? Pretty good. Can you hear me? You bet. Yep. Uh, so the three pre's, and I got conventional beans. I'm planting into cereal rye. Can I? If when I spray that on my cover crop, is that going to get where it has to be, or do I got to get rid of the cover crop first? Yes, you can spray it right over the top of that cover crop. You will need to add something to it like glyphosate. That's probably what I would do, Roundup, and right. then that will, right. that will burn it down. But no, I'm not worried about that residue tying up all the herbicide or anything like that. It'll come off that fairly quickly. Okay. That made me a little nervous. <laughs> I got a lot out there. It makes everybody a little nervous, believe me. Uh, yep. But no, we, we've done this many times before, and it'll it'll work fine. I mean, you don't want to be skimpy on the rates or anything like that. But what's and what's you your just, plan? Are are you planting and then spraying? Are you spraying and then planting? What's what what are you planning probably, to do? Probably. Well, we can spray and then plant after that. Yeah. Okay. But, yep. Use a prowl then? Yep, you'd have to go prowl rather than try because I assume you're not working this ground, yep. right? Yeah. Right, right. Yep, yep, yep. So, yeah, if you were going to work the ground, I'd go try but since you're not, then I would go prowl. Right, and it doesn't make, uh, like, if if we spray it a couple days ahead? That's fine. Yeah, is what? That enough? Yep, yep. Yeah, whatever you want right. to do on that. Uh, so I'm not that worried about it. It's just you're going to need some moisture to get it off some of that residue. And it, it, it'll go. It, it'll end up working. But like I say, don't skimp on the rates. 
Now, the other good thing about having that that cover crop out there, that cereal rye, is products like Valor and Authority, Valor especially, you might occasionally in conventional tilled black ground see a little splash up where it looks like there's a little bit of damage in the lower leaves or something if a hard rain hits. You're not going to have that planting into that cover crop. So, I mean, there are definitely some good things. The other good thing is your weeds are mostly choked out. So you usually have time for that herbicide to come available. So hopefully everything all works out for you. But yes, I... I'm fine doing that. I, I would have no issue with that. Okay, yeah, uh, I would use probably the authority and Syncor and sure. Prowl. Yeah, you bet. Yep, works for me. Okay, sounds okay. good. All right, thanks for the call, yeah, Dan. Thanks. You bet. All right, uh, I get one here from Joe, and he said, I got two questions for you. First of all, uh, is the high use rate of potash and MAP to correct low soil tests or low base saturation on the K going to overwhelm the plant with salts? I'm concerned mainly about the chloride in the potassium chloride. No. Uh, I mean, now don't get me wrong. That could potentially happen. But let's keep in mind, chloride by itself is not a salt. Now, potassium chloride is a salt. So when those two things detach, then you don't have a salt anymore. But yes, when you initially throw it out there, it is a salt. And could it potentially hurt something? Yes. This is why we talk about, hey, apply that in the fall if you're going to do massive rates. But, you know, with just a normal rate applied in the spring, it's usually not a real big deal. All right. He said, I was concerned about lower water efficiency because of salt present and also higher nutrient levels is what I'm shooting for to try to result in a higher water efficiency. Yes, definitely. But yeah, when you're building soils, especially heavy soils, get it done in the fall as much as you can, then you just have improved the overall safety. And he said he's in a dry land situation. The other question that he had is dry fertilizer is cheaper in his area, but he's wondering would plants respond to liquid fertilizer? Liquid fertilizer better, even if it was a little bit more expensive, would it be worth the money? Okay. What I will usually tell people is use the liquid to feed the plant, use the dry to build the soil test. So, yes, liquid's going to be more efficient. Liquid's going to be more effective per pound by far. You, It's easier to work with. You have instant availability. There are so many advantages. So I will just tell you on our farm, we're using some liquid every single time we plant every single crop. And we advise that for almost every farmer we work with. I'm not saying use massive rates, but use at least some. We have cold soils a lot of times. We, I mean, it's a, it's tough for the plant to get started. You want that plant to have every advantage possible. But yeah, in terms of, oh, I got to take my base saturation K from 2% up to 4% or whatever. Well, that's much more efficient with and cost effective with dry potassium. And that's more of a long-term thing. Thanks for the question. We appreciate that. I get this feedback from Ryan. He said, I'm not a farmer, but I'm a home gardening enthusiast, and I'm enjoying the information you're putting out. Hey, thanks, Ryan. We really appreciate that. Yeah, a lot of things that re- may uh, pertain to corn and soybeans also pertain to growing other kinds of plants, too. Thanks for listening to our show today. Be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.